turn to Acts chapter 9. And hopefully you still have your notes from the, the previous week and the week before. And by the looks of it, we may even be there next week, which is okay. Um, something about how King Jesus... God's anointed chosen one, getting a hold of this man Saul's life really, really speaks to my heart. Um, probably because I'm a man, probably because I deal a lot with leaders, um, probably because this is the beginning of the struggles of the church. And I, I see a lot of, of, of parallels and things that were the same back here in AD 30 as, as we see today. So I'm going to pray, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, I'm not sure, I don't think I'm going to read through the narrative, I think we're very familiar with it, but uh, we'll review some of my points and then we'll get into just some considerations this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for just the opportunity is to handle your word, Lord, to, to open it, Lord, to learn from it, to hear you speak, but Lord, as we've been really working through um, in our midweek programs, how do I apply this to my life? And Lord, I pray that we would make it a practice to always look at our own hearts first. Lord, that this wouldn't just be a knowledge thing or this wouldn't be something for those people over there. Lord, we would read it with our hearts, our lives in mind, our marriages. Lord, our parenting. Lord, our participation in the church. Lord, I pray that that these words in this time would be profitable to, to change us. And Lord, we know that that comes through your spirit. So I pray that we would just examine ourselves, Lord, we would surrender. And Lord, that these truths would just come alive. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so Saul, he finds himself on his knees. And if you still have your notes, just the second little half page. And... Uh, we're not going to be able to get through all the different texts, but I, I did mention last week in verse 2, as we see Christ, we see the light, sorry, verse 3, suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Uh, in many ways, we see Christ, King Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Father, protecting his church. Uh, most of the time, we make this narrative about Paul, sorry, Saul, who will be Paul, Right? And we focus very much on what's going on. And, the, and we forget, and it's almost like the paradigm shift, that Christ is at the third heaven, right hand of the Father. All authority has been given to him. I mean, one day, fully, every knee will bow and tongue will confess, but he is still ruling. And he shines his light on this man and gets him on his face in the dirt. Uh, Last week there I kind of challenged us to go home and, and, and talk at the dinner table about our Christ moments. I mean, that's not just a one-time thing at camp or one-time thing there sitting on the edge of my bed. These are things that are continually happening, right? Christ is ruling and his, his spirit is working in and through us. I mean, that should be something that we're regularly visiting. Uh, this morning we're going to look at verses 4 and 5 where we see Paul, or pardon me, King Jesus, God's Christ putting pressure on Paul, on Saul. Um, the other two points would be uh, Christ putting Saul in his place and then preparing this Pharisee of Pharisee for obedience. So just approaching verse 4 and 5, it says, Then he fell to 
the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, man, to, to just think through these words, right? Who are you, Lord? That's a, a significant first response when Christ speaks, right? Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Verse 6, just to kind of finish that. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? So we see Saul appearing to be a man following a system. Right? Now we wouldn't throw out all of Pharisaic Judaism as evil. And when you study out there what his doctrines were, they actually quite a few of them parallel with what we believe. I mean, I, it uh, just printed out just to maybe pique your interest a little bit. Um, they believed that God was their king, right? That's a pretty significant thing. I mean, in, in many ways, I'm going to say these Pharisees followed in obedience before God a lot better than some churches do. Right? They believe that God's king, and that, that implies that, that every person under his kingship was to accept his commandments, no questions asked. Right? If you were to study out the Pharisees and what Paul believed, he, he, they followed, it means a perfect heart that fears God, the very thought of sin, right? broke, broke them. All right, this is, this is some of the things that the Pharisees would step into. They believed in the Messianic kingdom. And when you study at the Pharisees, I mean, Saul wasn't all evil, right? He was doing what he thought in his education was right, right? And that's something there just to, just to pause for a second and think about. He had a Jewish education. He had all the intellect in the world. And yet he was missing some of these key pieces. So we see here in verse 4 and 5, we see King Jesus from the throne putting pressure on Saul. When we see the, the first words mentioned, and perhaps we need to get a little creative with me. Uh, it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I'm always intrigued with the thought. You think Saul and Jesus ever met as they walked? You think all the different feasts that Jesus attended as a, as a very faithful, obedient Jewish man. Now, this is, this is subjective and we don't know. But I, I, I sometimes ask myself the question, did Saul recognize King Jesus' voice? I mean, Jesus would have went after his bar mitzvah at 13. He would have been at at least 15 years worth of feasts. Right? Saul was around the same age as Jesus. Right? Saul was in leadership. Do you think Saul ever, ever, and I won't take this too far, but do you think Saul ever made announcements in the temple right there as being part of the leadership? Just a thought. I mean, it, as we work through it. But I, I asked the question, I said, do you think he recognized his voice? Had Saul met Jesus? Uh, why, why, I mean, the first, I mean, the light appears, and why in verse 5, it says, and he said, who are you, Lord? 
Why, why automatically does he use that title? Now, obviously, if light shines from heaven, right, you automatically would think there that God's involved with this, wouldn't you? Right? There's a significance language-wise when we understand that as the Hebrew scriptures were translated, this, this Greek word kurios began to be used for actually the names of God, Adonai and Jehovah. Right, this title, Lord and Curios, and, and here we have Saul on his face, a light from heaven, and, and Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I thought, and maybe I think too much. But he's on his face, and he's recognizing something, and even just the term Curios means something in here. Right? Saul was connecting the dots. Well, what, what was it? What was it that influenced? What was the stepping stones that happened in this man's life that, that his first words when this light from heaven appears, that he, he just immediately says, you know, who are you, Curios? Who are you, Adonai? Who are you, Jehovah? Who are you, ruler? Who are you, authority? What had just happened in this man's life? All right, and in the quiet, right, I went back to Stephen's last final moments, right? And, and, and I'm going to invite you to turn back there with me. Um, Acts chapter 7, just 51, right? Here we, have, here we have Stephen, and we've already been through that text, but as I quieted myself, and I do in, in my position as pastor, I do visit many people in hospital and homes as they're drawing, let's say, sometimes near the end. Right, or I do visit there as, as cancer or, or tragedy or heart attacks. That seemed to be a hobby uh, several years ago where everybody's seen. And, and, and you're sitting in the room, and those moments, those conversations, those, those, those needs, those, like the family around, those moments have a huge impact on people later on in their lives. Right? I think of Glenna's funeral there, right? I mean, I mean how, many, how many different positive uh, needed truths, needed eternal promises there were shared at that funeral that, that, that people from the, the younger generations needed to hear. Right? So here we have Stephen, and I'm thinking about Paul, Saul on his face. What led him to this place of his first words, who are you, Lord? And I thought about what, what he must have been working through there as he watched Stephen walk through his final moments. And we hear the term a lot, finishing well, right? We hear, I mean, I mean that doesn't just happen. I mean, that takes a lot of prayer. That's understanding, okay? The Spirit is, is leading me through. Now, hopefully it's not martyrdom, but does the Spirit lead us through cancer suffering? Certainly, does the Spirit lead us through, you know, heart and, and, and stroke and all these different things? Certainly. And, and sometimes it's not for us. It's for those watching. Right? And I think of Stephen here in Acts chapter 7. And I want you to think about Saul and what he's watching and how that connects with him later. Because I believe this was one of the major stepping stones. Um, Stephen's words in verse 51, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? 
And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, okay, of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Think Saul was one of those gnashers? Very much so. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen's exclamation as to, to where Christ is, what he was being shown, right? I mean, it wasn't just for his benefit. Here Saul is, is witnessing, hearing that, and these dots don't connect until later on, right? His, his first, who are you, Lord? I, I'm just envisioning him recalling the words of Stephen. Verse 57, then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You see that Lord? Same word. Right? And, and, and I'm just... <laughs> and and perhaps, perhaps this is a little bit of personal testimony I spent a lot of years in my life as a believer in Christ, placed my faith in Christ at the age five, but I didn't, didn't grapple with that authority, didn't grapple with the deity of Christ, didn't grapple with the scriptures that point me towards there. He is to be Lord, curios, over my life. I didn't wrestle with that. And I mean, here we, see, we hear, have Saul hearing it from Stephen, Verse 60 says, Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Right? He takes his last breath. God calls him home, however. But we see through this man's testimony, like Lord Jesus, we see Saul in the short time that follows putting the pieces together. The idea of conversations in our hospital rooms, right? funerals, when we get those test results, those have huge impacts. Right? We may not see it right away, but, but here we see Saul, and I mean, he heads down the wrong track. He's actually murdering people, throwing them in prison. Christ appears, and what's the first thing he's thinking about? Stephen's words. I mean, the dots are being connected, and, and I'd love to rehearse that again, but, but it's, just, it's just that the, the finishing well and having those things in many ways, this is King Jesus, this is Christ putting pressure on this man to make a decision. Right? He heard it from Stephen. He's got all the scriptures, the Messianic. He had Jesus' earthly ministry where he taught and did miracles, and yet he's still hardening his heart. And here we have Jesus appearing directly to him, puts him on his face, and he's saying, you need to make a decision. Right? There's an ultimatum. The line has been drawn. There's many things that could be said about that. As Saul, and back to Acts chapter 9, and as he's 
on his face and he's saying these words, Who are you, Lord? It's a little humorous to think that even in that situation, Jesus is still giving him the choice to decide. Choice of obedience. Right? He's given him the choice of decision. The choice to commit. This idea of obedience for this man wasn't forced. Right? It was Jesus appearing to him, the dots connecting and I think there that, that in this, this particular man's life, that was very much needed. It was very, very, very much needed. If we were to move on to verse 6, and uh, part of me wants to get into, to again, where we were last week about, you know, what would it take to put this man on his knees? What would it take to connect this man? What would it take to, to have this man submit his life to Christ. Verse 6, we see him trembling. Right? And I don't think Saul usually trembled. Right? Saul was a very leading, authoritative man. Um, probably in many ways, and religion does that to us. Um, we find ourselves opinionated and prideful. Right? You, you place anybody in authority there without a submission to Christ, and guess what? You're going to be hurting people. And there's a lot of different directions we could take in that. But I mean, Christ appears, Stephen's words, there's a recognition there of, of curios. And verse 6 says, So he trembling, astonished, and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. This is a big, big change, isn't it? as we think through that. I mean, he went to Damascus with one purpose. I mean, he had political authority. He had an agenda ahead of him. And now we see him trembling. We see him amazed because he comes in, 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 in face-to-face encounter with, with Jesus from heaven. Verse 7 says, And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground And when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Verse 6 and 7, I just thought about how Jesus, and he knows best, right? He He puts Saul in his place. Right? He puts him on his face. I mean, he's used to all this different authority, um, I mean, he, he's used to having people. He's used to having his way, right? And we see him being told, arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now, part of that might be my personality, right? The idea of having everything figured out and having an agenda and having everything almost to the point of, of I'm not a micromanager, but I want to know what direction we're heading. And here we have Jesus there. He's going, no, you are going to go to the city and then you're going to wait. You're going to wait with no answers. You, I, I will tell you what you're going to do, but you need to go and just, just obey. 
I find that fascinating as, as King Jesus puts him in his place without uh, adding words. It's almost like he's saying, this is not about you. Right? This is, this, is, this is God's agenda here. So he has to, you will be told what you must do. We see him there heading to it there in verse 7. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. And we see Jesus there as we work through this, preparing his Pharisee of Pharisee for obedience. We don't have quite enough time, and I'm sorry if this seems to be a little disjointed here this morning, but the idea of, of Saul being broken enough for what God had for him. Right? I mean, again, he's told to go to the city and he's going to have to wait. And when I think of how, how people today handle brokenness, right? How people today handle, I want to even the aspect of, of not being able to see temporary blindness. People today aren't willing to wait. People today aren't willing to have control taken from them. People aren't willing to, and, and I don't want to sound hypocritical, but I mean to, to have a health issue Many people in society and culture, I mean, we need this fixed now. That's not what we, not what we see here. So I'm just going to read that, that, the last couple of verses, and uh, we'll maybe get into that a little bit next week. But the idea, the idea, I mean, he comes face to face with Jesus, and Jesus blinds him for three days. I don't think we, we talk about that much in our ministries, do we? I mean, what do you do? Like, okay, yeah, I met Jesus, but now I can't see. What would your modern message be to the Christian community there? I mean, and what's your explanation for that? Or, or, or I met Jesus, and then I had to lay in bed for three days. Right? That's not generally there a, a gospel, gospel-focused, uh, Jesus healed me and fixed me, and, and I don't have any troubles anymore. It says, and the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice and seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And I do think, in many different ways, this is a beautiful picture of how Christ sometimes does break us. Right? This man's not in control anymore. This man doesn't have his henchmen all, all geared up to go cause damage, right? They're leading him by the hand, right? They've come face to face with, with Christ, right? They've seen the light. They're, they're coming in and Saul can't see. He's going to spend three days on it. And this is a beautiful, beautiful picture of brokenness. But Saul still has to make a choice in this. And without rambling, I mean, we all have loved ones when we think about Hard hearts, poor decisions in life, Christ moments, right? And, and then this is a beautiful passage just to bring someone to. Right? Are you broken enough? What is it going to take for your knee to bend to Jesus? And next week, we're just going to spend a little bit of time because this didn't just affect Saul, did it? You got a number of people involved here. You've got Ananias who comes in. You've got the people that led him. You've got the church that's been praying for them. And you know what? In many ways, our decisions don't just affect us. So it is a beautiful picture of brokenness. 
And if I was to put an application on this, when I think about my own life, and it's not about me, I'm thankful for some of that suffering that I've gone through. I'm thankful for some of the things that I know Christ has led me through. I'm also thinking about some of the people that I pray diligently for and I reach out for that just don't seem to want it. Right? And as I read that passage, I think to myself, I have to be patient. Right? It's God that does that. Right? It's, it's, it's are you broken enough? I mean, there is a point, and then I don't think, unless Christ had taken Saul to that point of three days, not eating, drinking, and blind in a bed, I don't think Saul, would that be adding to that? I don't know whether Saul would have made that decision. Right? And, and so just even take the encouragement from, be patient. Read this text realizing that this isn't just Saul's story. This, this applies to so many different areas of our lives. And it's a precious thing when we, when we can walk through it with someone. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just think of, of this text of Scripture and, and quite often we focus on Saul and we miss that, that you're the one that's doing it. You're the one that's, that's actively from, from the right hand of the Father intervening in this man's life. And you had, you had a call, you had a ministry. Lord, you, you had chosen this man to do great things for you. And yet he had to be broken enough. Lord, and I do think of our loved ones. Lord, I think of my own life and the people who prayed. Lord, just recognizing that I was rebelling against you. And Lord, I'm thankful for brokenness. And Lord, I, I, I would pray for each one in this room as I, I know we all have loved ones. Lord, we all have people we're connected to. Lord, that seem to be hardened. And Lord, we ask that your spirit would work. Lord, we ask that your spirit would soften hearts, Lord, that they would, in many cases, recall the truths, Lord, that they've been taught, the truths that they've been shown. Lord, if, if, if you need to use this Israel war to do it, Lord, I pray that you would awaken the seeds of truth that have been planted. And Lord, at the same time, as much as we want to see success and as much as we want to see these immediate miracles, we understand there's a process. And Lord, I would pray for patience. Lord, as we give our loved ones over to you, Lord, I pray that we would, we would recognize that sometimes it takes three days of being blind, three days being in the bed. Lord, sometimes it takes having everything taken from them and them having to be led by the hand. And Lord, I pray that we would see our place in that. Help us not to enable. Help us to be wise and, and discerning when it comes to stepping in. And Lord, we just ask that you would, you would work powerfully in these different situations. Lord, we thank you for this time. And Lord, I just pray that maybe perhaps they're on this uh, little bit of a gray day. Lord, that we would take advantage of, of some of the downtime and, and not just be around family, but Lord, be with family spiritually. Lord, that our conversations would perhaps even center around your word. And Lord, we just ask that uh, you would bless, bless our afternoon and bring us together tonight. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.